another episode of Mentor Musings. I'm JC, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host and friend, Brett. Hey, Brett. Hey, JC. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great. Let's, uh, let's dive right in and get started. I think this is going to be a topic today, Brett, that a lot of entrepreneurs are going to appreciate, especially if they're in the earliest steps, if, if they're kind of in that, that validation ideation stage where they're considering whether or not to take that dive into starting their venture or how best to take that dive into starting their venture. So um, the topic of today is, is really talking about product market fit. And for me, I think it popped up on my radar again because I had a startup ask me about first mover advantage or, or the goal of being first to market. And, and what I had expressed to them is yes, you know, traditional business logic and, and all of us with MBAs or business degrees or you read a business book talks about first mover advantage. But the truth is, is being first to market is only as good as being first to product market fit. And so um, I'm curious, just first of all, would you agree with that sentiment that all things being equal, um, you know, being first to market is not nearly as good as, as actually having identified which market you should be in? Or, or do you think, no, uh, startups should just kind of rapidly launch and, and get into the marketplace and figure it out from there? Yeah, no, I tend to agree with you because I think, you know, history, at least recent history shows us that first to market isn't exactly necessarily the one that wins. You know, I think, as you had mentioned, <laughs> it's littered with, you know, folks that had hit like MySpace or, you know, some of our audience may not even know what MySpace is. It's been that long. <laughs> oh, but wow. yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting when you, th- you think about first mover advantage, because I think there's really two paths. One is, is this a completely new market, right? A category creation, which I think is so rare. It's hard to find and define that. And if it is first to market, man, you're going to spend a lot of time and energy educating the marketplace. And I think that's what happens with a lot of these companies. They educate and set up the market. And by the time they're there, three or four other entrants come in and, you know, figured out what the the fit was and eat their lunch. So uh, part two of that is, if it's kind of a subcategory, you're doing something different in a niche, you know, that's, that I think is more of a good first mover advantage in a market that the customer is already aware that there's a problem. Does that make sense? I don't know if I completely answered your question, but yeah, I, I no, it does. That- something it up. I would say no first mover advantage isn't necessarily, you know, a competitive advantage like we learned in business school many years ago. I think it's solving that problem first and better is the the optimal approach absolutely yeah no i i think i completely uh kind of you know dovetail and agree with that sentiment you know it, it's kind of like search engines right you know again talking about myspace you know how facebook ultimately won the social media space but look at the search engine space right um you know and again a lot of our viewers may not even know about oliweb and lycos and yahoo and and excite AltaVista, ask jeans right all of these search engines predated the search engine, you know, that is synonymous with search now, it's Google, right? right All right. of those were first to market. But what Google got right was not being first to market, it was being first to product market fit. So um, let's talk about, you know, product market fit, you know, kind of as a concept. I guess what I would say is product market fit, to summarize, is when you know that you have a good or service that is able to meet a specific market's demand, right? That's, that's the general alignment, that it's beyond sort of that general threshold of value add. Okay, well, you know, there's there's some value here, but it's identifying where above that dividing line, your product or your, your good or service is actually falling and how it aligns with a specific market. Um, and the thing that I always 
is talk about when you're starting off with exploring product market fit in the early stages, it starts with kind of a value hypothesis. You know, when, when you're starting your venture, you have an idea of what your value is and what you want to do through a series of conversations and interviews. And we can talk about some more tactics in a minute. You want to validate or to some degree invalidate uh, what that value hypothesis is. is. Is the value that you perceive that you would be adding to your marketplace, A, what the marketplace needs and B, you know, what the marketplace uh, will pay for. And I think that second point is really critical, Brett, especially, you know, in the world that you, you tend to focus in a lot on the sales and, and marketing and business development side. It's about making sure that not only is this a value, is this something that will, will enhance or, or create, um, you know, insights or, or, or good things for your customers, but is it something they will actually pay for? Right. And I think, you know, as, as I look at it, it's you know, we kind of talk about the, the problem market fit, right? Is if your new product or service is either solving a problem that the customer has 95% of the time, there may be solutions that are enhancing something, but yet you're still solving a problem because they weren't getting to the enhanced level of what they were doing. So if you look at it, so what problem are we solving with this product or service? And then I think the other test is you're starting to talk to customers and look at the market. Is this a need to have or a nice to have, right? So if you're going to market with a nice to have, yeah, that would be a good problem to solve. It's not my top priority or it's not causing severe pain you're going to have to work twice as hard, you know, to, to develop that market share. I think in good markets, you know, when the cash is flowing and business is good, you know, nice to haves do well, but, and if you can find that need to have problem to solve it and you're going to solve it differently, that's when you've got the, I think the, the real advantage and, you know, you're going to move quicker and faster. I think that that's the opportunity. Absolutely. Yeah. It starts with that value hypothesis. And then the middle most important part, like you're saying, Brett, is that problem market fit. And it's being able to identify and articulate and validate that you're solving a serious pain point for a market. And your your, your product market fit conversations end basically the moment you figure out that you do have have and what the right large audience is for your product or service that achieves that problem market fit, right? So it starts with, I think it's this, I'm going to have conversations to validate that this will solve this problem, or maybe it's solving a different problem, or maybe there's a different problem needed to solve altogether. And then it ends with, okay, now I have confidence that there is a, a larger audience of people who will be willing to have this, you know, kind of satisfy a serious need for them and be willing to kind of transact on it. Um, you know, I'm curious. So, so Brett, in the earliest stages, when we talk about product or problem market fit, um, you know, what are some of the benefits that you've seen from from startups, from entrepreneurs who go through kind of this diligence phase? I mean, obviously, one option is just to launch in the market. You know, kind of assumptively saying, "Hey, I think I've passed a, a value threshold here that should be good." But what have you seen to be some high-level advantages when people go through this product market fit or problem market fit uh, analysis ahead of time? Yeah, I think it helps because then you you know what you're attacking. And I think part of kind of that next step is when you've, you've launched, you've sold the product to a few folks, nine times out of 10, you're selling it to your folks in your network or family and friends are buying your product. And you go to them and ask for feedback, right? And I think the challenge a lot of the time is that they don't want to hurt our feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and say, hey, I didn't really like, no, it's great. I love the product. And it reminds me of an episode on the podcast. This is going back maybe 40, episode 48, 49, testing my memory. But Martin, uh, 
Martin Hill, who was actually on Shark Tank. He invented the Bebo. You can look it up on YouTube or go look up at the show. But one of the things that I took away from that episode was he was relentless with his early customer feedback. He said, I don't want you to tell me the good stuff, right? I know why I think it's good. Tell me what frustrates you, what you don't like. You're not going to hurt my feelings. And I think he did say, well, kind of hurt my feelings a little bit, but it was the best feedback that I ever got because I didn't go too far down the path, just thinking everything was great. I was solving the problem I thought I was solving, but to get the real honest feedback was kind of the game changer for him and his product as he went to move forward. So I think that's an underappreciated point. You can do the market research. You can talk to the customers. You can see it. You've sold it to them. They give you all the good feedback, but it's really important to try to get to what's not working and ultimately you know, kind of part two of that is after they've had your product or service for a while, is it the solving the problem you thought it was going to solve? Because I think a lot of the times in the early stages, they're using it some other way that you may not have anticipated. So I know I took us on a little bit of a tangent, but I think getting that validation and looking for what's not working is almost as important as to what is working. Yeah, I, I can tell you time and time again, and there's countless examples, especially with technology, you know, as rapidly as you can sort of prototype, deploy, and put, you know, different iterations in front of potential customers during these product market fit discussions. I've seen applications launched with literally an entirely different de demographic of target user. And go through the product market fit discussion and realize actually there is almost like an antithetical like like the exact opposite like 180 degree turn from where they thought they were going right. uh one company uh, for uh, for instance thought that they were targeting males between the ages of 18 and 35 and they went through the product market fit discussions and actually found that uh females ages 15 to 20 uh, were this really prime audience for this platform. So it was, I mean, it was a real a real head turner. And I mean, you don't always see those types of, of shifts or, or 180 degree turns, but you can learn a lot and gain a really big appreciation. And I think one other thing that you hit on, Brett, this is critical, is every entrepreneur, before you worry about anything else it's about investing your time your opportunity cost you could be doing anything else you know let alone your capital but anything else that you could be spending your time on so this product market fit step really allows you to validate your decision to continue investing your opportunity cost right you know you have an idea you have a concept but it's a great way to hedge or arbitrage the risk of just diving in fully quitting your job the next day spending tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars in personal savings raising money from friends and family or from investors and, and creating a, a fiduciary responsibility there going through these product market fit discussions before you even launch your venture can not only help actually make the venture successful but just really help validate hey is this something that's a good use of my time am i still interested in or is this market opportunity what i thought it was when i when i first had the idea yeah no so true i think it's so important and you do tend to skip that because you think it's the greatest idea in the world <laughs> validation is so important and you know just to piggyback off that a little bit that to continue to do that right as your journey goes and you bring on more customers and expands you know too often you know, folks set it and forget it and then don't do the deeper dive into the customer and getting the feedback as they go on. I think some of the best companies do this all the time, right? Post-launch, currently been in business. I think Amazon's a company that's constantly looking for, for feedback and what's working and what's frustrating their customers and how do we improve it? What's next, right? I think it's always looking for 
what's next, right? So you're disrupting yourself. And again, I don't want to get too far. You're still looking for product market fit, but the advice is to make sure that it's just build this into your, your DNA as the company goes from just you to bringing on other folks that there is a organizational commitment to getting that customer feedback and really looking for the customer feedback, just not the you know, the, the survey that said, Hey, how do we do right? You're only going to get the folks that are like you. So, um, that's why I think we picked this episode today is it is a critical piece of, of your growth. And the sooner you're on top of it, the easier it is to, to make the decisions, whether to invest, not to invest or pivot, not to pivot and you know, what's working, what's not working. Yeah. I mean, Brett, you bring up an excellent point. You know, while we're talking about product market fit generally in the context of that first step or the, one of those first steps, it is a continual investment and a highly repeatable process because the reality is, is that your product and your market are dynamic, right? So, you know, what you're offering and what you know about what you're offering and what your customers want and what your competitors are doing or aren't doing, those are constantly shifting things. So you mentioned Amazon, I mean, right, the, the biggest company, right? Like they're huge and they are still constantly exploring this, this stage of product market fit. So, you know, even though we're talking about it, you know, mostly in the context of some of those first steps to validate the venture, to validate your investment. It's really important that founders know that committing and learning this process early on is going to pay dividends because you're going to continue to repeat it over and over and over again. So not only is taking the time today advantageous for a founder just to have that initial product market fit, but you're building and almost habitualizing your your framework of understanding how do I identify product market fit in the future so that as the venture scales, you're able to scale that that product and, and product market fit so you can either pivot, pursue a different pathway, you know, change your revenue model, etc. Brett, I'm curious, what are some tips, you know, uh, either earlier on or during the cycle of the venture that you would give a founder as to how to manage their product market fit discussions? You know, any tips you have as far as how to engage customers, what to ask them, just any any best practices that you've seen that you think would be worth Yeah, I mean, I don't think this is, I hate to answer it with it depends, but you know, if it's a founder or a co-founder, I, I would, you know, divide and conquer but make it a part of the process. You know, I link it to, you know, what I'm doing with this, this new fund. I'm just having conversations, conversations, you know, what's working, what's not working for you. I came up with my hypothesis that I think, hey, this is where this fund's gonna make the most sense. It's a market, but you know what? I've already kind of pivoted a couple times. I'm gonna say pivot, that's maybe too much of a, a swing, but help me refine where I really think the opportunity is in that marketplace. And then once I'm going live, it's gonna be constant feedback, right? I want to understand if this makes sense, does it not make sense? Is the market dynamics changing? And so I don't know if there's a formal program, but as you, the founder, and it's still founder-led selling, is you know just make it a part of the, the program to follow up with with folks and the core question i think it goes back to what we talked about is it's great yeah i'd, I'd love to hear what's working for you and why you like it but tell me what you don't like and be brutally honest and not you don't always want to hear that but i think making that part of those conversations one you'll get the customer more invested because you want the full feedback and two it'll give you the insights ahead of time kind of the early warning system if you will of where you may have potential problems absolutely flipping it back to you i don't know if you do have a more formal approach um again i just like to have it as part of the, the overall program so i'm just curious from your standpoint is there something that you build in or is there a structured process that you like your your companies to follow 
Yeah. Well, first of all, I think the the, the best practice tip that you gave, Brett, is is critical, uh, and it's probably one of the most important takeaways from this podcast. It's that or this episode. It's it's seeking, um, it's seeking that critical feedback and encouraging um, potential customers early customers, uh, long-standing customers, newly closed customers, you have to constantly seek uh, and request that. And I know it's 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 scary for a lot of entrepreneurs because it's kind of like if you ask scary questions, you'll get scary answers, right? You know, and, and, and but the truth of the matter is, is that these things, these challenges are happening and they're being felt by your customer, whether you're having them express them to you or not. And I'll say this, just from a service standpoint, literally just having them express that to you, even if you're not able to change something about it, just that in and of itself could actually extend the lifetime value of the customer or make them appreciate to some extent that you're you're interested in hearing their feedback, even if you're not able to immediately act on it. And in a lot of cases, you are gonna be able to act on it because you know this is your venture and you can you can make rapid changes. So um, I would definitely agree with that. I mean, the only other thing that I would say as, as a best practice uh, would be when you go through product market fit discussions, you want to try to think about what are the goals? What are the questions that you want to answer for yourself? I mean, it, you know, it's not literally what are the questions you ask the customer, but like what questions are you trying to a- answer yourself as far as your venture? Like, for example, um, you know, is our pricing model correct or or uh, what problem are we actually solving with this feature or this tool? Right. Uh, or is, you know, is, is the value of this tool or this feature clear to my customer? Uh, and, and also, is it what I think? it is right you know it's it's one thing to have your perspective on the value of a tool or a feature or a product but you know to identify what your customer's perspective is and kind of where that delta is is really powerful so the thing that i always recommend um and again just like you brett i know you love to keep it simple and and just have the most obvious and clear advice but set a couple questions or goals aside so that you know okay now i'm engaging in product market fit discussions um and and I'm, i'm looking to answer these you know kind of two questions but the other big piece of advice that i offer is this a lot of people when they engage in this they 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 have this compelling need a lot of times to reach statistical significance it's almost like they think they're running a research institute and they say well okay i've got to talk to a certain threshold of people 50 500 500 whatever right the truth of the matter is and this is especially true the earlier on that you are is that the quantitative insights from you know yes or no on a scale of one to ten like likert scale like those that feedback is okay right and i understand a lot of people want to present that to investors or present that to their partners or just feel confident in, in kind of the the law of big numbers but the truth is the most impactful insight you will get is the qualitative insight it's yes. it's the commentary that your customer gives you it's not on a scale of one to ten how would you rank this service it's you know tell me what you think and it's what they're typing into that field or what they're expressing to you verbally it's those qualitative kind of you know uh, color commentary not the play-by-play where you'll find really really genuinely useful information beyond just i like it or i don't like it because sometimes the customer can't always articulate in the way that you frame it and kind of you know categorize it what's a seven what's a ten or what's a yes or what's a no it's it's really about hey inviting them into the conversation so that they can give you commentary and you you hear words and 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 sentences and sentiments and then all of a sudden you hear that a couple times you go okay i know what everybody's talking about i can implement that so so definitely set goals around questions you want to answer during your product market fit discussions but also really overemphasize earlier on the qualitative insight collection versus just the quantitative yeah, no, that's such good advice. Come in with the the why, right? And look for the themes that if you start to see reoccurring, you know, that's such a good point because the numbers aren't going to 
tell you, you can manipulate the data. Well, you can kind of shift it to tell your story. So I think that's good. And maybe just one more macro piece of advice I'd have with this topic is try to figure out, it may take a little bit of time, what business that you're, you're really in. And what I mean by that, the analogy is I was, I was talking to the founder in of all things, you know, the base minor league baseball, <laughs> right? And one of the, the, the past he went down, he's like, are we competing in the baseball space? Cause that's going to be one way we position it. Or are we in the entertainment business? And once they were able to basically identify, no, we're in the entertainment business. It's the way they could approach, look at the differentiation problems that we're solving are going to be very different unless we are in the baseball business. So I know it's a little more macro, but I think it's important to understand where you want to be playing, which comes into first mover, right? It's going to be very two different oceans, if you will, depending on which, which path you take. So again, maybe that's just more of a macro, but I think that's an important question to try to identify. And it may pivot. You may find that you, you're better suited in different areas, but have that as part of your thought process as you're definitely in the early stage as you think of where you want to play and who you're going to play against. Very well said, Brett. So everybody, whether you're in early stage, taking your first couple steps, whether you're mid-cycle or later stage in your venture, commit to habitualizing product and market fit. Get comfortable with asking scary questions of your potential customers, your existing customers, and seek that out because that is the pathway to reaching that exponential scale, right? Uh, it's a way to, you know, tailing off of our, our last podcast, our last episode, Brett, uh, to go from startup to scale up. It's it's seeking yep. that information and, and really ritualizing and habitualizing the collection of that information that's going to allow you to reach success over a very long period of time. So um, I think that's a good stopping point there, Brett. Thanks everybody for tuning in. Please like, comment, reach out with questions. We're going to keep putting these out here so long as uh, we keep getting good feedback from you guys. So uh, let us know if you'd like to talk about any topic. We've got some other uh, content coming up down the road, so stay tuned. But uh, as always, thanks for joining in and uh, best of luck with your venture. Bye, everybody. Cheers, everybody. Thanks, JC. Cheers. Thanks. Thanks.